Well, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and jump to Galatians 5. And uh, we're going to be finishing up Galatians 5 and 6 today as we finish this series called Embracing Pleasure. And, uh, and I go back to when we started this series. I, I remember William was even on stage, and he was trying to, uh, to introduce the series. He's like, I'm just going to let Patrick explain it, right? He's like, you know, I, <laughs> pleasure, Jesus, Bible, does that even all go together? And I hope as we've been on this journey now, we're actually beginning to see that this is natural. This is normal. It's not odd uh, for the Bible and the church to talk about experiencing pleasure together because I believe, and I believe what Scripture teaches, that living the pleasurable life is actually one of the key characteristics of what it means to follow Christ. It's actually who we are. This is not the miserable life that we're called to. It's the pleasurable life. And we've been using John 10.10 as kind of the backbone of this thought that the idea that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said that he came, that we may have life to the fullest, abundantly. And that literally means more than we can ever use. It's not just a little extra. It's more, so much more, this pleasurable life that he gives us. And so how do we move from this idea of old-fashioned kind of stodgy, religious, following the rules, to actually living a life that, man, we are excited about, that we love, and that we're just, we can't get enough of. And the book of the Bible that we've been going through that helps us do that is the book of Galatians. If you're just joining us, maybe the first time in the series, just a quick update on what the book of Galatians is. It's a letter that Paul wrote to a church, and a lot of times Paul would write a letter to a church, and he would encourage them, or he might be upset at them about something. With the church at Galatian, uh, the thing that he saw it over and over again, he's like, I'm, I'm confused by you. You perplex me. I don't understand you. You are doing so well. You are living out of the gospel, but you've run back into religion. You, you are embracing something new. You are living this pleasurable life, but you ran back into this religious state. And Paul's like, I don't understand. Why did you do it? And so he's been writing this letter to them to basically we talked about last, last week, let go of the shackles of religion and grab hold of what it means to have a relationship with him. And we, we've been on this journey of embracing first the desire for the gospel, which means the desire for reconciliation with our creator, being understand that we were designed by God, created by God. And because of that, God knows what's best for us and the gospel lines us up with him. And then out of that, we start to be able to live by faith. We start to be able to walk out, try things, do things that we've never done before. Try new experiences. Trust him in ways and and maybe in relationships, in circumstances. Just do things that I've never been able to do before. And then in doing that, I experience freedom that we talked about like last week. This amazing freedom that I'm not bound to religious practice, but I'm free to put the practice of my faith into action, which leads us to today, which is the desire now for satisfaction in our life. Now, I want you to see something before we dive into this desire. These go hand in hand. They are step by step. We can't just start with satisfaction and go, what do I want? Like, give it to me. That's what I need. Like, when we start there, we, we get messed up. And so this is a process of embracing pleasure. It's reconciling ourselves to God through grace and the gospel, starting to live by faith, experiencing freedom, and in that freedom, experiencing satisfaction like we never have before. That's this pathway to embracing. 
satisfaction and embracing pleasure. So Paul has been walking this church through this process of letting go of religion, embracing freedom. But just like them, there, there can be a danger in that, especially for a group of people that were so easily fooled into going back into religious practice. Right? They had been set free, and they had been fooled, and now they were going back. And Paul is basically like, you know, maybe in this newfound freedom, I need to like help you understand what that is. Because maybe they could be just as easily duped into thinking that freedom meant that they could do whatever they want without any consequence or without any impact. And this is why in verse 16, Paul makes a very quick pivot here from talking about freedom to laying the groundwork for how to live in this freedom. And so I want to read a couple verses to us to start with, and then we're going to talk through some things. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says this, and it starts with this, but, and I love when when, it, when a writer puts a butt in there, it's like, hold on. Like, this, the thought is not over. Don't take what I just said without what I'm saying now. All right? Freedom. You, you know, freedom in Christ, everything. But, all right, there's something else coming. But, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you not, will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other and to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. What Paul is doing here, he's not pumping the brakes on pleasure and freedom. He's simply pointing them in the right direction. And what we often do is we'll take something like this and we'll start pumping the brakes like, well, hold on. You know, there, you can't do this, 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 and this. That's what that means, right? And so we start pumping the brakes. And really what he's saying, I just want to point you in the right direction. Because the truth is you and I can be just as easily fooled and struggle with the idea of freedom as much as the Galatian church did. To think that it means no boundaries, no authority, no rules, no consequences. And this isn't a type of freedom that leads to satisfaction. As a matter of fact, this type of freedom leads to recklessness, harm, and disaster in our life. I mean, we know that, right? I mean, if we don't follow certain rules and guidelines in our life, it's going to be disastrous. When I, I used to own a car. It's been a, a while now, but especially when I was in high school, I loved to drive fast. Uh, I mean, it was just me. I, I don't know if you guys remember the old movie Days of Thunder with Tom Cruise, like that racing movie. I remember I was like watching that movie, and I came out, and I get in my car, and it was a little bitty Azuzu. I don't think they make these anymore. Azuzu pickup truck. I think I had a four-cylinder engine. But, like, I get in there, I crank it, and I'm like, rawr, rawr. I don't even think I was making that much noise, you know. You know, I was just like, whatever I could do. And, like, I remember tearing out of the parking lot, just driving fast. And I, I, I just loved to drive fast until the police decided to put a little damper on that. By I got two tickets in one week, one time. Two speeding tickets in one week. I was lucky because the first guy did not take my license. The second guy took my license and gave me a summons. So it's not just disastrous there, but I, I remember one time in high school, there was a friend of mine, still had my little Azuzu pickup truck. He had just gotten a, a 1967 Corvette Stingray, all right? And his dad had put a, uh, a block underneath the pedal so that he couldn't even, like, put it to the ground. And uh, we're driving to school, and I'm behind him, and I'm like, I'm going to show this guy off. Like, I'm going to pass this Corvette in my little Azuzu pickup truck. Can I tell you why it was even on the side of the pickup? I'm just going to level with you. It didn't even say pickup. It said Azuzu pup. P-U-P. That's how bad this truck was. So, anyway, I come around. His name was Scott. 
I come around Scott, and we're on a two-lane road, and I decide to pass him. And this is how idiotic I was. We're, we're like cresting hills. And I am almost by him, and he's, like, waving at me like this. And I thought he's, like, waving hello, and he's, like, waving, like, look. And as we crest this hill, there's a school bus coming in my lane. And literally my life flashed before my eyes. I did nothing except just turn the wheel. Scott was smart enough to hit the brakes and give me room. And I skidded over into a lawn, and I was—I got out of the car. I, couldn't, I was just, I, I mean, it was almost disastrous for me that, I mean, I, for not following rules or not thinking I can do what I want to do, no consequence, right? That's not what Paul is talking about here. And while Paul wants us to encourage to, and to step forward in this desire to have satisfaction in our lives, he begins by also warning us of the perils of pursuing the desires of the flesh that do not lead to satisfaction. So what is satisfaction? Let me give us some things to think about. So I want to begin our study today by looking at what true satisfaction is and what it isn't. And I want to compare and contrast some myths because satisfaction can be a tricky topic. Just because we desire satisfaction doesn't mean that we actually know how to fulfill it. We can feed it with things that are, that are wrong. I, I try to cut out a lot of carbs in my life. And, but occasionally, about every two weeks, I'll have a cheat day, right? And, like, you can eat what you want. And I was coming to the end of my cheat day, and I'd really not had much sweets. And I was like, I knew what I wanted. I was home already, and I knew what I wanted. It was a, a cookie called the uh, Funfetti from Schmackery's. If you've ever been to Schmackery, it's on 49th or 45th and 9th. And it is the best, one of my favorite cookies in the city. Well, I didn't want to get all the way out and drive over there. So I'm like, I looked up Postmates to see if they would deliver one cookie at 9 o'clock at night. They wouldn't. But so anyway, like, there were some brownies that Natalie had made, like, on Monday. This was Saturday. There were some brownies still on the counter. And I was like, all right, I just want something sweet. I'm going to get a brownie. So I take this brownie, and I bite into it. And it's a week-old brownie. You can imagine. And I'm, like, chewing on this. And I'm like... This is doing nothing for me. Like, I literally spit the brownie out. I didn't tell Natalie that I did, but, like, I just spit it out because I was like, what I really wanted to satisfy a desire, I tried to fill with something else, thinking, oh, this is sweet. That'll be nice, but it's not. And this is what we do in our life. We believe some myths about satisfaction instead of really going for what we know will satisfy us. And the first myth, myth I want you to see is this, is that we think satisfaction is about gratification. It's all about gratification. What makes me feel good? What allows me to experience the most amusement, comfort, or happiness? And it makes us fail to realize that we actually need more than amusement, comfort, or happiness to experience true satisfaction in our life. Gratification is literally like a physical or emotional drug that does nothing but bring temporary relief. And when I come back from it, the problem, the longing I have is still there. We think whatever I can do is just gratify myself. But the truth is this. Satisfaction is actually about fulfillment. Fulfillment. True satisfaction comes not when I'm just gratified, but instead when I am fulfilled. The difference between gratification and fulfillment is the lasting nature of fulfillment. That it stays with me. It doesn't just amuse or comfort me or make me happy. It actually gives me a new understanding, a perspective, an outlook on circumstances. If you look down in verse 19, he talks about what some of these works of the flesh are. And he said, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, 
When you look at those, those are all things that are gratifying to the flesh. Things that just gratify us. Feel good. And he's not saying like that exact act is wrong, but doing it in the wrong way doesn't bring fulfillment. He's like, if, if the only thing you're doing are physical things to gratify the pleasures of yourself, you will not experience satisfaction. You won't. You may feel momentary gratification, but you will not experience fulfillment and satisfaction. The second myth is this, is that we believe satisfaction is about improvement. Right? We've got to add to it. And we struggle with letting good things just be good things. Instead, we try to add on, make it better, get more out of it, finding ways to elevate it like never before. You guys have been around enough. You know that I like steak. I love, actually love cooking steak. And I use this marinade that's called Dell's oftentimes to when I'm going to cook a steak. And it's, you're supposed to like marinate for like two, three hours or something like that. And I used to, I just love the way it tastes. So I had this idea one time, if it's good to marinate for two or three hours, why not 24 hours? So I covered this thing up, man. I put it, I sealed it up in, and I put it in the refrigerator for like the next day. And I'm, we had people coming over. I had like two nice steaks, big ribeye steaks that I was like just waiting to cook. And I pulled them out of the fridge. I'd not looked at them, and I'm like, these things are going to be amazing, marinating for 24 hours. And I pulled it back, and they had shriveled up like prunes. I mean, the the salt in that Dells had basically sucked every bit of life out of those steaks. And I was like, what? It was supposed to be better. I did it longer. It was supposed to be better. And we do this in our lives, don't we? Like if something's good, then let's take it to the max. Let's do it to its fullest. And that's not the way it's designed to be, and we end up getting out of balance. We distort the impact by thinking we're more creative or knowledgeable than God. But the truth is this. Satisfaction is about what brings enrichment to us. Not improvement, but enrichment. When, when we learn that it's not up to us to make improvements on what God has done. When we learn that we have been given the exact right balance of what we need to bring enrichment into our life. It's not about elevating one note over one taste over another taste or one note over another note. It's about experiencing everything in harmony and balance. And if you look at the first part of 520 there, he talks about things that when we fail to do this, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. It's when we try to add to, we make a new idol other than God. We want a different power. It's sorcery other than what the power that we receive through the Spirit. We get angry at other people for what we think they have it better than we do, which creates strife and jealousy. And we fall to these traps, and we think we see a picture of improvement instead of actually just using and experiencing the goodness that God has already given us. The third myth is this, is that satisfaction is about variety. Always got to have something new. I've got to have a new relationship, a new experience, a new person in our life, and we end up looking for the next thing instead of remember the faithfulness of what brings deep satisfaction in our lives. I struggle with this in restaurants in the city all the time. Like, I love restaurants, but I was like, there's got to be a new one. There's got to be. And, like, I'll stop going to my favorite place to try to find a new favorite, and I miss out on my favorite. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, I used to love going to that place. And so it's, we do, but we do this in all areas of our life. Like, this is good, but what about I'm missing something else. I'm, somebody else is being satisfied by something else. And when we get in this, it actually starts to steal our discernment, our contentment, and our wisdom. Because we always think there is something else out there, and we'll start making decisions that aren't wise 
we're not using discernment, and it will actually take away our contentment. Because the truth is this. It's not about variety. Satisfaction is about what's finding its complementary, what actually adds value to me. It's not discovered in variety, but in what's complementary to our lives. Experiences that bring growth. The person that's challenging me in new ways, don't rush through that. Soak it in. Take it in. You're learning something. Don't think you're done. Just continue to walk in that. When God needs to bring something new in, he'll bring something new in. Or we'll see a tool that God's using in somebody else's life and be like, I want that tool. And we'll try to steal it from them or steal that experience and try to make it work in our life. And it doesn't work. It doesn't bring any satisfaction. And this is what it leads to in the second part of verse 20. It says we have fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. This leads to all those kinds of things. This myth. The fourth myth is this, is that we believe that satisfaction is about abundance. It's about abundance. We tend to improve, think that if, a, again, a little's good, then a lot has to be better. A little experience uh, in one way, then I've got to go do it something else. Abundance is a thing that I think will satisfy me more. And think about this. We think about things that we crave and that we need, like water. Right? Water is good. You're thirsty. You need some water. Water in a cold glass is perfect. But those of us who live next door have experienced an abundance of water last night. We had a pipe break in our building and flooded uh, from the 34th floor down to the 8th floor. Many in this room are dealing with how that is playing out in our lives right now. I mean, I walk, PJ calls me, he's like, there's water in our kitchen and in our bathroom standing on the floor. And I'm like, I love a cold drink of water, but that's not where I want water. More water in that setting is not a good thing. Fire is a great thing to keep me warm when it's under control, but out of control, it's too much. So the truth is this. It's not about finding abundance. It's about finding what is sufficient. What's sufficient. True satisfaction doesn't come when we experience everything to the max. Instead, it's when we experience things just to the right level that brings us sufficient peace, sufficient hope, sufficient joy. When you look at verse 21, you see things here that he talks about. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and these types of things. This is when people take things to the max instead of experiencing the way that they're supposed to. Think if one thing is good, then more is better. And if we experience these things, we understand that it actually leads more to brokenness than it does satisfaction. So I want to, as we move toward application, I want you to, as we talk about these truths and myths, these usually play out in our lives in a couple of ways as we try to pursue satisfaction because we typically find satisfaction in either one or two places, in, in personal experiences, things that we do, physical, emotional experiences, and personal relationships, like interactions with each other. And what Paul does here is he talks about walking in one direction versus walking in another direction when it comes to experiences. And then in chapter 6, he talks about how to find satisfaction in personal relationships. And so I want you to see a couple of things as we dive into this. Again, go back and look at Galatians 5.17. It says this, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other. It's basically like two sides of a coin. You can't have both. You will either pursue in your experiences the desires of the flesh, or in your experiences you will pursue the desires of the spirit. And let me tell you a couple things that I want you to start with before we get into the pathway that he walked us here. I want you to understand personal experiences move us. They move us. 
right? So I'm going to experience something. At the end of that experience, I'm going to be in a different place. I'm going to have a new experience, something I have never experienced before, maybe experienced again or in a different way. And whether that's a, you know, a, just a, something that comes out of the blue or something, a plan, a, a vacation, whatever it is, just life in general, you are a different person at the end of this day than when you started the day. Experiences move us. But I want you to understand that the experience isn't the path to either the spirit or the flesh. The experience is the vehicle that we use. And it's how we drive that vehicle. It's the motive behind driving that vehicle. Because the second thing I want you to see is this. Most experiences aren't inherently good or evil. Right? We can, we can talk about almost any action in our life. And there's a circumstance where it can honor God. But there's also a circumstance where it can be evil in nature. And I say most because there are certainly experiences and acts that we can do that fall directly into the flesh or directly underneath the spirit. But most of these are not, oh, that's good, that's bad. It's how we use it and approach it. And when we actually start making lists of this action is good and this action is bad, do you know what that's called? It's called religion. And it's what Paul said you need to let go of last week the rules and regulations, because it's not about that. It's about the attitude and direction of your heart. And so what does he do here? He wants us to see in verse 19 through 21, that, that list of things he just gave us. After that, in verses 22 and 23, he's going to give us a list of things that we maybe are a little more familiar with or desire in our life, which is the fruit of the Spirit. Right? So he talks about the fruit of the flesh, all of the things, and the fruit of the Spirit. And he's basically saying your experiences will lead you into one of those two directions. Strife, enmity, greed, anger, lustfulness, all those things. If you take an experience and that's what you want to give out of it, that's feeding the flesh. If it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, that's feeding the spirit. We can take relationships and do the same thing with them. And here's what I want you to see. When we start to gratify the desires of the flesh, here's what shows up. We become motivated by our carnal desires. Our carnal desires. The word carnal means it's lacking any kind of spiritual emphasis or impact. It's basically a list of desires that do nothing for our souls, but simply are for our own physical and emotional pleasures. It's when we take God out of the equation and make our personal needs the primary focus of our desires. I'm going to do this just because it feels good. Period. Period. I don't care. I don't, I don't care what it might happen, but right now it just feels good, so I'm going to do it. It's going to make that choice. And when we do that, the second thing it does is it moves us in a direction of exclusive satisfaction. That it's about me. Me being satisfied. We, we start making decisions about our satisfaction based on what is most beneficial for me or least harmful for me. And in this, then the truth becomes malleable. malleable. The emotional well-being of others is thrown out the window. We ask ourselves one question, will this make me feel good, make me feel better, make me feel more comfortable? And once we start going that, that, destination, that direction, it will third lead us to a destination of idolatry, of idolatry. We become these self-loving, pompous, entitled people that think we are the center of the universe. Everything else here is for my pleasure and for my good. And the experiences are here to be sacrifices for me to make me feel better. And we actually stop pursuing God and take the things of God to try to make them my sacrifice to me. And we become our own idols. We become the center 
of the universe. When we fill in the flesh with our personal experience and we do that, carnal desires lead us to exclusive satisfaction which lead to idolatry. But when you flip over to verse 22 and 23, you start seeing a list of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. And he says when these things, if these are what you actually want in your life, you'll be on a different path. And we see with like love and joy and peace, we actually start see that we're not motivated by carnal desires. We're motivated by noble desires, by desires that are birthed out of joy, love, and peace. And instead, fulfill this experience of, of love and joy and peace that I can share with other people. It's the extension of who God is instead of the stifling of who God is. And then to, to walk in the Spirit means that we are moved in the direction of inclusive satisfaction. And this is what it talks about with, with kindness and patience and goodness, is that we start moving from thinking this is a win-lose situation, it's got to be good for me, and if it's bad for somebody else, so be it, to start living in our life in a way that it's a win-win for people. That we're actually, as we're blessed, others are blessed. As we're experiencing satisfaction, others are receiving the fruit of satisfaction as well, which then this leads us to a destination of worship with gentleness, self-control, and faithfulness. It says against such things there is no law because that is how we worship, through self-control, through submitting ourselves to God, through faithfulness to God. We experience pleasure by finding satisfaction when I come to worship God. This is where I think we can see these two different destinations so clearly. Do I, am I pursuing the flesh at the end of the day? Do I want to be the one that's worshipped? Do I want to be the center point of what I looked back on and say this whole day was built around me? That's the desires of the flesh. Or do I walk in the spirit and at the end of the day be able to look back and say, through my actions, through my experiences, I was able to actually worship God, honor him, and make his truth, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, known to other people. Paul isn't doing this to set up regulations and restrictions in our life. He's doing this so that we would actually not end up in that list in verses 19 through 21 of, you know, spiteful, angry, jealous, envious, lustful, all these things, because that's where this leads. When you are your own God, that's where that's going to lead. But when you follow God in the spirit, it's going to lead you to a whole different place of satisfaction. So personal relationships, we also experience, I mean, and personal experiences, but to quickly close with, we also experience satisfaction in how we relate to one another. And this is what chapter 6 is all about. It's about how do you and I actually deal with each other in such a way that it's satisfying, not trying, right? Have you ever had one of those relationships that just, as soon as they walk in the door, you're like, it's going to be a long night, Long day, like, you know, how much longer do we have to stay? I didn't know they were coming kind of deal. Like, you know, those kind of relationships, like, how do we actually go from moving, finding, you know, difficulty in that to actually finding satisfaction with one another? And I want to quickly go through this. We won't read all these, but Galatians 1 talks about this idea is that you and I should restore one another. And, uh, and that we should not repay evil with evil. And so the thing we got to do is this. To, to experience satisfaction in personal relationships, you have to be quick to forgive and slow to sin. That's what it says. Forgive others. Don't repay evil with evil. Just because somebody sins against you, sins against you doesn't mean that you have the right to sin 
against them to like repay it. That's not going to bring any kind of satisfaction. It's going to bring war. It's going to bring dissension. Quick to forgive, slow to sin. Galatians 2, 6, 2, and 3 talks about bearing one another's burdens. Like actually coming along and putting your shoulder under their load and helping them. And here's what this means. It's got to be that we have to be quick with compassion and slow with selfishness. Like when you see somebody in need, help. I mean, like uh, it's somebody else will come along at some point. Quick with compassion, slow with selfishness. Satisfaction is fueled by compassion. If you read Galatians 6, 6 or 8, it talks about that we should share good things, especially with those who teach us. Like basically that we are encouraging. We're quick to encourage and slow to criticize. It's not our job to listen to somebody and, and immediately say, here's what's wrong with everything you just said and criticize. Instead, it says, speak good back to those who teach you. When somebody pours something into your life, talk about how meaningful it's been. Encourage that. And when you do that, somebody would encourage you. The quickest way to not feel satisfied is to criticize. The person who shared something with you is not going to feel satisfied. You're not going to feel satisfied. Criticism will kill satisfaction. And then Galatians 9 through 10 ends with talking about this, this idea that we are to do good to everyone, especially the brothers among us. And it's this, we should be quick to serve and slow to isolate ourselves from one another. When we serve others out of the satisfaction with no demand for anything in return, it actually makes our satisfaction flourish and grow. When we think, I'm not going to help that person or they don't deserve that, and we start putting up walls and we start pushing back, we start isolating. And in isolation, can I tell you, there may at some point be a little peace in isolation, but there is no satisfaction in isolation. None. Absolutely none. There's loneliness. There's what will feel like you've been betrayed. Emptiness. And that's where Satan wants to trick you by using the flesh to get you to criticize people, to isolate yourself, to sin against other people, instead of encouraging, walking alongside, showing compassion and encouraging. So my question for you today is this. Are you believing the myths of satisfaction over the truths of satisfaction and how you experience life and how you relate to other people? True satisfaction is in the gospel, exercised in faith, and learning to walk in freedom toward the right path of satisfaction. And one of the ways that you and I actually remember to pursue the fruit of the spirits, the true fruits of satisfaction over the fruit of the flesh is to actually do something physical to remind us of that, to intertwine the physical and the spiritual. And the way that Jesus instructed us to do this was in the participation of communion. And so this morning, we're going to celebrate communion together. But let me explain to you what that is. Communion is a physical reminder of a spiritual truth. And that truth is this, that in submitting our lives to walking with Jesus Christ is the only way to truly experience the pleasure of the gospel through faith, freedom, and satisfaction. And so as we come to a table and take bread and juice and wine, and we we remember those physically, we're actually remembering that this satisfies me. Who Jesus is as I partake, as I take things into my body, satisfies me physically, emotionally, and spiritually. 
These two elements, the bread represents the body of Christ, his life, his deeds, his example for us, this body that was eventually sacrificed for you and I. We remember that he is the bread of life that sustains us, not just adds to or tries to improve. He sustains us. The wine represents his blood, his passion for us, his love for us, his desire to have community and brotherhood with us. This blood that was eventually spilled as a sacrifice for you and I, we remember that he is the vine and we are the branches, that we are intertwined together, connected deeply and intimately. So as we take the bread and the wine, we take them together, this is a remembrance of the satisfaction in Christ. Now, why do we do this? Communion is not a way of salvation. By taking the bread and the wine together, that does not cleanse our bodies before God spiritually, magically. But it is a reminder and a celebration of salvation that has happened in our life. It is a reminder of the satisfaction that we have experienced. So who should take this? Communion is designed for those who have surrendered their life to Christ and are walking in his truths. Walking in satisfaction, walking toward the fruits of the Spirit and personal experience, and walking toward the fruit of the Spirit's and personal relationships. If it's not for those, even who are followers of Christ, who are willfully saying, I'm going to rebel against the way of Christ now, or I'm going to work against my brother and try to cause him harm. Jesus would say, don't come to the table unless you are desiring. You don't have to be perfect. It's not approaching the table with perfection. It's approaching the table with a desire to walk in the right direction. How do we do this? We practice this as a family together. And so if you have family here, you're invited to come to the table together as a family. If you don't have family here, find family within our community for people to come up and and to take the elements with. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And after our pray, we'll uh, take the magical towels off of the bread and the uh, the, uh, the juice. And uh, and uh, you'll have a piece of bread and you dip it into the, the wine and you take it and you can pray together. There'll be people here that will be willing to pray with you. You can pray together as a family. But my encouragement to you would be to, to do this with someone from our faith family, to take the bread, dip it, partake, and to pray together. And then after that, we'll close in a time of worship together. So let me pray for us. And after I pray, the tables will be here for you to come and experience the satisfaction of Christ.